Our scripture reading comes from Exodus 20 and Ephesians 6. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Ephesians 6, 2. Thanks, Angel. Oh, it works this week. You can tell. <laughs> uh, good afternoon. Glad you guys are here. For those that don't know, my name is Dylan. Just a person that goes here. I gets to talk again. Uh, so we made it to the halfway point of our series, Keeping It Simple, Loving God and Others, um, where, as you guys have known, we're walking through the Ten Commandments, or maybe better described as the Ten Words of God, uh, where we as a faith family are trying to walk into the freedom that God offers through relationship with Him. So today we'll be in the fifth word, uh, as Angel just read for us. Uh, in thinking of this word, honor your father and mother, uh, it could be easy to have a cheesy sermon, especially when your parents are here for a second week in a row. Uh, but the idea that actually kind of came up was um, that Allison and I are about to be celebrate our first year anniversary. And uh, we still have trouble cleaning the house together. Um, Allison and I, I think, have very different definitions of what clean means. Uh, when I hear clean, my interpretation is uh, make it look nice. Um, but of course, Allison's in nursing school and actually cares about what clean means. So for clean, clean actually means for her being clean instead of just looking nice. I, want, I wonder who's more right about that. Um, but the heart of cleaning and the way we look at it is so different um, that it just leads to us not being on the same page, even though we're doing the same actions. Um, yeah, when I clean the kitchen, my goal is to get everything off the countertop, and that, that seems good. Um, <laughs> and for Allison, there's a lot of steps after that that I won't go into detail for, but that actually make something clean. Um, but why do I bring that up? Why do I incriminate myself and make you guys judge my poor cleaning habits? And I think it's because for many of us, we read this word, honor our father and mother, and think it's mainly about us completing a task. And it's mainly about us treating people a specific way. Uh, and this is an important part of the word, without doubt. Uh, but I think there is more to it. Uh, I don't think this word, the way I would describe it is I don't think this word is primarily about how we treat others, uh, but how we see others. And, and even ourselves, how we see ourselves, goes hand in hand with how we see others. The command of this word demands that not only do we treat others in love, but we see others and ourselves as God sees. Now, often we can read the Ten Commandments, especially from this point on, where it goes from honor your father and mother to a list of things not to do. And we put ourselves at the center of the word. Uh, of the Ten Commandments. We make it a list of things that we need to do, and so we and our actions become the center of the Ten Commandments. But as our picture shows that some people think is the Enneagram, um, the heart of the Ten Commandments is the cross and the character of Christ. Um, and so in this word, the heart is the same. It's still Christ and the character of Christ. And I think this fifth word then is an invitation to see the reality of the cross 
and enter into life with God based on the relational realities of God's kingdom. How to live in freedom with God and others, and that involves how we see others and ourselves as much as how we treat them. So with that perspective, even though it sounds strange with the verse on honoring your father and mother, uh, we're going to start by looking at how we see ourselves. I think it's critical because it's very, very difficult to see others rightly if we can't see ourselves rightly. Uh, we've mentioned multiple times throughout this series, the Ten Commandments are meant to bring freedom. By living in the relational realities of the kingdom of God, we experience freedom with God in his relationship and also with others. So now I want to spend a bit of time addressing explicitly what, what freedom actually means in the biblical sense, in the Ten Commandments sense. First, I think the easiest way to look is how our society describes freedom. Freedom is something we think of as independence or autonomy. We have freedom of thought. We can think whatever we want. We have economic freedom. We can spend money how we want. And we can make money how we want. But over time, I think we subtly twist it and make this freedom really about us. And then we start to think of freedom as not a freedom, but a freedom from. Freedom from others, freedom from other ideas, freedom from our context, that we get to be autonomous individual beings separate from the world around us. But of course, especially the parents in the room know that this is just not reality. As humans, we are naturally created to depend on others. Thinking about our birth, our births are fully dependent on others. We are, we are passive participants in our birth. We're passive participants in the DNA and the genes that we have. Um, I actually first heard this from John Mark in the back, but I did some research in science.org. says humans are considered late bloomers compared to primates and other mammals. What this means is they spend about twice as long, a bit longer, in the childhood and adolescent stages as other primates. The parents that haven't slept for a decade know this is true. Um, but humans need parents or parental figures or a community much longer than any animal does. In uh, just this past month, we were in North Carolina for a trip, and we saw this baby deer, or a fawn, just walking across the street. And it saw our car, and its instinct kicked in, and it uh, ran away from the car. And I was thinking about that because it saw this cute thing. There's Bambi. But could you imagine a baby, human, running away from a car and able to protect itself? I thought that was just an example of how long it really does take humans to develop and be, even be able to protect ourselves. Of course, we don't just depend on our parents in childhood, but we also depend on them for their molding of our character. Our character doesn't, isn't purely internal, but it also is affected by the things around us. Like my mom, I have a tendency to want to do things well and perfectly. Like my dad, I have a general rule of thumb never to be excited about anything. <laughs> 
when it comes to sports, I root for the San Francisco 49ers, the San Francisco Giants, and the San Antonio Spurs. But you, cannot, you don't have to blame me for that. You can blame my parents, because that's who they root for. And that's something as small as just a sports fandom I wish could be my own, but it's not. It was from my parents. And so none of our identities are centrally bound up in our parental figures, in the people around us, but it's clear that they do shape aspects of who we are and that we don't exist separately or in freedom from others. So then that brings up the natural question, what, what does freedom actually mean? When the Bible talks about freedom in Christ, what does that actually mean? Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way, freedom is a relation and nothing else. To be more precise, freedom is a relation between two persons. Being free means being free for the other because I am bound to the other. So the first thing that this says about freedom that kind of challenges our notions that freedom only exists in the context of relationships. We are relational beings designed and created for relationship, and any freedom we have exists in that reality. Of course, the primary relationship we're created for is our relationship with Christ, but also through that relationship with Christ flows our relationship with the people around us. Freedom is not to be free from but to be free for, to be free with, to be able to enter into deep, loving relationship, enter into relationship with others that is bound by love, that love that ties us, the love of Christ. And that, that, that's what true freedom is. That's what becoming whole is. It's not becoming separate, but it's becoming more connected. The way we are to see ourselves bound in relationship to Christ, and from that relationship, bound to those around us, connected in love, not existing as individual entities separate from those around us. So the first way to see ourselves as God sees us is to understand that we are pieces of a whole made to be free with others. But in this freedom, there's the ability to see ourselves and others rightly, and we do this through the lens of our relationship with God. Let's dive a bit more into what, how we see others, then from this perspective, understanding that we are bound to others in our freedom. The easiest way to describe this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when God creates humanity. Uh, he says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing we recognize is we spent two days, the past two weeks, talking about this with the third and the fourth word, but that we are created to be God's, God's apostrophe S, God's possession, God's chosen people, God's image bearers. And we understand from that perspective that this is the lens through which we also view the people around us as image bearers created worthy of love by God, created to reflect him, his character, his goodness, and his mercy. 
And so from that perspective, we then go back to our text, the very short sentence in Exodus 20:12 that starts, honor your father and mother. And so if we consider this from the perspective that it's about how we see others, not just how we treat others, we can look at the first word honor, and I think that will give us some framework. In Hebrew, the word honor, that same verb that means to honor, is also used a lot in the Old Testament to mean to be heavy or to be weighty. Honoring our father and mother, seeing them rightly, seeing others rightly, involves giving them the proper weight. And of course, we see from Genesis 1 that this proper weight is to see them as image bearers of God, as reflections of him and worthy of his love. Of course, we can stray from this and mess up by seeing others without the right weight, seeing them too lightly. Maybe they're objects to provide us with what we need. Maybe they're obstacles in the way from getting what we want. But it's common for us to see this tendency where we can see others as pieces that revolve around us rather than individuals created in the image of God that we're to be with and bound to. But on the flip side, we can also not see others rightly. We can miss others. We can not see them with the right weight by giving them too much weight. I think there's an equal temptation on the opposite side where our identity can become wrapped up in the people around us and not in our relationship to God. See, even though we are bound to others, our identity is not first and foremost from them, but our identity is in our relationship with God. Maybe this is a boss that we aspire to be like, a friend who's made it and has it all together, Maybe it's just a celebrity or someone you don't even know, but you admire, you like listening to them and hear them. Either way, there is this potential where we put, give people too much weight and elevate them to a pedestal that they don't belong on, that is not reflective of them being an image of God, but more a broken idol. The last thing I want to say when we talk about seeing people as whole beings, image bearers of God, is that there is this importance of actually seeing them. I think often we think of how we can see others well. And we think of only looking at their good sides, the best parts about them. Like we're in a honeymoon phase with someone of, oh, this person is amazing. They're the smartest and the funniest and they get me and they can do no wrong. But that's not what it means to see others as the image of God. There's greater depth, greater bounds in relationships and seeing people accurately and not through rose-colored glasses. Seeing others as image bearers of God, seeing them as God sees them, does not mean seeing them as faultless, but acknowledging their faults and still choosing to see them for what they can be and how God sees them. A good example of this is Jesus and Peter's relationship in the book of Mark. That in Mark, we see Peter is actually the one of, obviously one of the closest of the inner circle, and he knows Jesus, and he is actually the first one in Mark to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. 
But what does Jesus also tell him? Right after he says it, he says, get behind me, Satan. That even though Jesus is connected and close and is elevating, Peter has made him his rock, has shown, not made him his rock, made him the rock, and um, brought him into the inner circle, was transfigured in front of Peter. He also calls him and sees him for what he is, but still chooses to elevate him still chooses to love him and be near him. Our verse ends um, with the promise that Ephesians says. It says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you. So there's a clear biblical theme in the Old Testament of living in the land as a blessing of faithfulness to God. This begins in the Garden of Eden where humanity is kicked out from their sin. And then the very first story after the Garden of Eden, we see what Cain murders Abel. And when Cain murders Abel, what God says is, see the ground cries out of your brother's blood, and Cain gets sent away. And then this theme even continues into the prophets living where the Babylonians take Jerusalem and they're crying over losing the promised land due to their lack of faithfulness. So for the people of Israel to live in God's land, God's promised land, they must live faithfully. They must see others rightly. They must see others right by honoring them as image bearers of God, loved by God, and being bound through the love of God to them. So, in this word, this simple word of honor your father and mother, attached with the promise, we've kind of gone in a different direction. And I think, I think there's one last question that we have to ask. And that's, what are the stakes? Why, why is this so important that it's the fifth word in the Ten Commandments? Why is it so critical that we're spending time on seeing God and not necessarily just taking it at face value and honoring and, and the answer that we see in the Bible is the stakes are knowing God. This isn't just about our relationship with others. This isn't just about honoring others, but it stakes is our relationship with God himself. Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 13 through 16, is Jeremiah reading this prophecy of an unjust king. Um, this king that was no longer faithful, and he said, in verse 13, he defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. This is Jeremiah talking about the king's father. He says, is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. I think that's missing the beginning, so let me pull up that verse real quick. Yes, yeah, so it says... Here in Jeremiah, the full verse, Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, and so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. 
So here what's at stake in this mistreatment of this king that's seeing people not as images of God, but as less than in Jeremiah, there's just that heartbreaking verse. Is that not what it means to know me? And the way we see people, is that not what it means to know me? The way we treat people, the way we see people, unless we see people as God does, we cannot know God rightly. We cannot honor God and be His chosen people if we refuse to see others as the same. Of course, it's not just in Jeremiah, but it's also in the New Testament. James chapter 1, verse 27 says a very similar thing. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Pure and faultless religion is revealed in how we treat others especially in this case, the others that this world sees as not image bearers of God, others that don't reflect God's love in this case. So, we see ourselves as bound. We see others as the image bearers of God worthy of love, and we understand our connection to them and we understand that at stakes is how we know God. And I think here's the important, the question that maybe makes us feel all nice and warm inside is why? And it's because God first bound himself to us. You know, we remember that at the heart of the Ten Commandments is the cross, the cross where Christ descended, and that through his life, death, and resurrection, we would have full life with him that he took upon our sins and our weakness and our brokenness so that we can enter into relationship with him, so, so that we can be bound to him. We are bound to others in this relational reality that the Ten Commandments exists in, in which our life exists in, is reflected in best in the character of Christ. It's reflected in the God that throughout the Old Testament, we've seen our failures, he's seen our sins, and he's chosen to bind himself towards us. When the people of Israel sin in Genesis, what happens? God comes closer to them. He doesn't leave them or abandon them, but promises them himself. He forgives them and changes them. So, this is a fairly simple verse and a fairly simple word. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. But often we use the simplicity of this word, I think, to mask the stakes, the stakes and importance of this word. As we sit with this word, I want us to consider if this is primarily about how we act, but is this really also just about worshiping God rightly? Is this about seeing God rightly so that we can know him better? and know the people around us the same. This word is not a command to an action, but an invitation to a vision, a vision of the kingdom of God. And only by doing so can we see God rightly. Only through our relational love to those around us can we see love and worship God. 
the first three words that we've spent on the Ten Commandments spent a lot of time focusing on how we see God rightly. And we think we move on in the fourth and fifth word to how we see others and ourselves rightly through Sabbath and through honoring your father and mother. But really it's all connected and it's all, all wrapped up in how we see God, how we see God's creation, and how we love others. So, um, as is our tradition again, a reflection is going to come on the screen. You're going to have a couple of minutes to challenge just some words to help us consider how we can see others, ourselves, or God rightly. Obviously, you can see that that's a very full slide. You do not have to answer all of those. But just consider your perception. Consider where God is leading you. So I'm going to pray, and then you guys are going to get to spend some time doing that. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are not a God hidden high above us, but a God near and next to us that's chosen to make himself known. Thank you that despite our sins and our faults and all our failures, that you stay near and that you offer yourself to heal and redeem our relationships. Help us center on you prioritize relationship with you. May our identity be found in you, Lord. Help us see others rightly, deepen the bonds of love that bind us to those around. In your name, amen.